Boy, it's good to see each of you this morning. Glad to be able to look out over the congregation and and see so many people that we love and and that we're so happy to be with. I want you to always keep in mind that it is a privilege and an honor for us to be here, be a part of this family, and we're so thankful to you for that. And we look forward to hopefully many, many years of laboring together uh, for the cause of God. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to notice really that whole chapter or a large portion of that chapter as we study this morning. Have you ever noticed that at times, as a people, sometimes we have a little problem, a little trouble with following directions? I look back over some of the things that have happened in in our family, and, and one of the things that, that comes to my mind so very often on this idea of following directions is we have sat down at the supper table, and uh, Nicole has fixed the supper, or maybe even I have done that, and, and we may have broccoli. And I don't want to mention any names, embarrass anybody, but as we sit and we try to eat that broccoli, Blakelyn just will not do it. She'll eat the top off of the broccoli. And so I'll say, did you eat your broccoli? Oh yeah, I ate my broccoli. I said, well, what's all that green stuff on your plate? What's all that stuff that looks just exactly like broccoli that has not been eaten? What is that? Oh, I ate my broccoli. You know, we have a little trouble sometimes, right? But that isn't peculiar to children, is it? Sometimes as adults, we have a little issue with following directions. All we have to do is open up the newspaper, listen to the radio, and there's all kinds of crimes and civil disobedience and things going on in our own city and the cities across the nation with people having some difficulty following directions and breaking the laws. But then again, it isn't always a civil law or it isn't a criminal trespass or something like that. People in general from the very beginning of time have had some difficulty following the directions of God in a spiritual manner. A vast majority of people in the world involve themselves in spiritual trespass. They simply do what they want to do, whether it's a complete disregard for what God has told us to do, or whether it is adjusting some of the commandments that God has told us to do, or just completely leaving some out, or whatever the case may be. We have some difficulties. In our text, we have a great example of someone disregarding what God has said to do. Notice 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to look at verses beginning with verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, Samuel came to Saul after he had not done what God asked him to do. And in this historical account, he said, 
Are those sheep I hear? Is that what I'm hearing in the background? Do I hear sheep in the background? Do I hear cattle lowing in the background? You just said that you did all that God had asked you to do. I think we can learn some great lessons for the 21st century out of this historical account of what Saul did. Very similar to maybe me looking down at a plate and saying, is that broccoli that I see on that plate? Well, Samuel did the same thing, didn't he? Are those sheep that I hear? Are those things in the background that should not be there? And because Saul chose to do what Saul wanted to do instead of what God wanted to do, ultimately what happened, as we look down through the history of God's people as a nation, the throne was taken away from him, and someone was installed upon that throne who had a mind and who had a heart to do what God asked them to do. So as we listen to that question this morning, as Samuel asked, are those sheep that I hear? I want us to first notice Saul's rebellion. When we go all the way back to verse 1 of our chapter, we notice that the first thing that Samuel did was he reminded Saul that God chose him. God chose you to be the leader of Israel and you are to go and you are to utterly destroy the Amalekites. By doing that, Samuel identified the source of the charge. He identified the source of the commandment. And when we can identify the source, and that source is being God, that ought to be an indication to all of us, right? That we ought to take these commandments seriously. Saul should have done that. When Samuel said, it is God who chose you to be king over Israel. You know, as we later on, we look in the life of Saul and, and, and his problems unfold and He was reminded on occasion, you know, it wasn't because Benjamin was the greatest of the tribes. Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes, but yet God still chose you from out of Benjamin. So he's reminding them. Now it's necessary to continually remind ourselves, isn't it, about what God wants. That's a good practice to have. Notice 2 Peter 3 verses 1 and 2, in writing to Christians people who had obeyed the gospel, Peter said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, both which I stir up your minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. I want to remind you, Peter said, to remember what the prophets said. I want to remind you what they preached and what they taught. And I want to remind you what we, the apostles of Jesus Christ, have taught and have said. I think Demas is a prime example of someone who needed to have been reminded. He needed that, didn't he? I want us to notice the first time that Demas is mentioned. Philemon verse 24. Paul writes, mentioning Marcus... Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, he says, my fellow laborers. The second time, he simply says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you, Colossians four fourteen. And finally, he says, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. 
it's almost as if we see a gradual falling away. We see him mentioned as a fellow laborer. Then we see him simply mentioned in the correspondence, and then finally we see how he left the church for which Christ died and went back into the world. But a gradual falling away is normally how it happens, isn't it? Normally, we don't wake up one morning and we say, well, I just don't want to love God anymore, and I want to leave the church for which Christ died. It's a gradual movement. And boy, we better be on guard for that. Not just only for ourselves, but for those around us who we love, right? Because times can become difficult. We can endure things in this life that are very difficult, and unless we are looking after each other, we may lose somebody. And that somebody may be ourselves, right? Anytime we receive a command from God, we must take seriously the consequences of not fulfilling that commandment. Let's think of another example found in the Old Testament. Achan. Achan of the tribe of Judah. He refused to obey the commandments of God. They had gone to war after the battle of Jericho. What Achan did was he took the bounty. He took a portion of bounty. He took a wedge of gold. He took some Babylonian garments and he hid those things. He was told not to touch those. They belonged to God. We see that Joshua 7 verse 1. And after finally having been found guilty, and they had to go throughout nearly the whole nation to find out, or at least the, the, everybody that was had gone to war from each tribe, they finally found out that he was guilty, and he admitted that he was guilty. He said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Notice the result of that. What had happened? Well, God ordered and He commanded that they take Achan, they take his family... They take all of his material belongings, they burn all of the material belongings, they kill all of his livestock, they stoned him and his family to death, they piled the whole mess up together and they burned it. Joshua 7, 24 through 25. Here's the sad thing about that. One of the sad things. Saul would have known about that particular historical fact in the life of Israel. He would have known that. Yet he still did not obey God without question. But he should have. Like Achan, Saul also refused to obey God. But God reminded him that he required obedience. This wasn't just a good idea. This wasn't a suggestion on the part of God. This was a commandment. I require Obedience is the message that we receive from God. The first thing that we notice is God does not forget. God does not forget. He told Saul that he remembered the actions of the Amalekites 500 years prior to that. And we know what happened with them, Exodus 17 verse 8, as God's people had come out of Egypt and they were headed toward the promised land, the Amalekites came out against them in war without having been provoked. They came out to harm God's people. Now, as Moses looked out over that battle, we remember that battle, right? The sun was getting ready to go down, and and they were fighting, and as long as Moses held his hands up, and he had the rod of God with him, Joshua prevailed. 
But when he got tired and his hands came down, Amalekite prevailed. So what happened? Well, he had two helpers, didn't he? He had two men that were right there with him all along. Aaron and Hur. His brother and the good man Hur. What did they do? They lifted up his hands and they steadied him. Remember, they set him down on a rock so he could rest a little bit and they held his arms up and while his hands were up, Israel prevailed in the fight. And God instructed Moses. He said, write these things down. Write this for a memorial in a book. Exodus 17, verse 14. He said, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. He promised that he would do that. Saul knew the history of his people. He knew that God had made that prophecy that he would destroy Amalek for their disobedience to God, for their unprovoked war against God's people. And it came time, 500 years later, people look at the account of Saul going in and supposing uh, to... uh, supposed to have killed Amalek and killed all the Amalekites, Agag, their king. And they think, what a terrible, how mean and how insensitive that must be to kill everybody. Because that's what he said, right? He told them. He said, I'm going to utterly put their name out. I'm going to destroy them. But he hadn't forgot. He hadn't forgot. But what we need to remember, there was 500 years. 500 years of opportunity to repent. 500 years! That sounds like patience to me. He gave Saul clear instructions, didn't he? Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 15, Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Brethren, 500 years to repent. Yet they refused to do that. And as is always with God's instructions, He was very clear. And He was very understandable that He wanted a particular thing done. But yet they didn't do it. Among the New Testament examples of required obedience, we read about uh, Ananias and Sapphira. During the infancy stage of the church that was established on the day of Pentecost, the church for which Christ gave His life, that church for which He said He would build, Matthew chapter 16, all the people had come for the Pentecost feast and from all over the world and and 3,000 of them had obeyed the gospel and they had planned on coming as was the custom. They would go to the Pentecostal feast, the Passover, and then they would go back home. Well, this time they didn't go back home. They stayed, and and we see the church growing, and then there were 4,000, and then it went on and went on, and and what they were doing, they were studying with other people and going from house to house, we see in Acts chapter 2. But the problem was that, that they came for a certain period of time, and they ran out of means. They ran out of food. They ran out of money. They couldn't support themselves during this infant stage of the church. And so what they did, they came together and they sold many of their possessions. They sold property. They, they gave and, and they distributed that amongst those Christians, those brand new Christians, so they could live. 
Now they didn't have to do that. God didn't command them to do that. He's not teaching socialism or anything like that. But what He did command was for them to be honest in what they were doing. Not to tell a lie about it, right? And we notice that Ananias and Sapphira did tell a lie about it. They did tell something that was not true. They had a piece of property. They sold it. They brought it to the apostles one at a time. Ananias first. He said, I've sold it. I've given you all I got from it. Peter said, you gave us all? I gave you all. God struck him dead. His wife come. Did you all sell a piece of property? Yes. Did you give all of it to the church? Yes. All of it? Mm-hmm. Well, like your husband, you're going to be punished. And she fell dead. See, God expects obedience. They didn't have to sell their property, but they had to be honest. He tells us to be honest and He expects that. Like that couple, Saul refused to do what God said. He refused to be obedient. He instead wanted to do what he wanted to do. I want us to notice in our, in our chapter, verses 4-7 through seven, seem to indicate that Saul was going to be obedient. That he was going to do what God commanded. But then we learn something else. Notice that he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. He kept the king. Now why would you keep the king? It was a badge of victory. It was the one you conquered. It set you up to show what a great military man you were. How great you were with your armies and what a great king you were. So he kept the king that had been defeated and he kept all of the good livestock and it is recorded that Saul would not utterly destroy them. He destroyed that which was of no use to him. He kept what he thought he needed to be, uh, that what he thought needed to be kept, and he did not obey God. That same thing happens in the religious world today. What about, you may talk to someone, they say, this is how you become a Christian. This is how you become saved. You just believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you become saved. Well, is that is that what God said? We need to have an open mind. When someone begins to tell us how to become Christians, we ought to listen to that. We ought to listen to what they have to say because, you know, I've made a few mistakes in my life and I want to get to heaven. And so if someone says, as I have studied the Bible, this is what I have concluded, I ought to want to listen to that. They say, okay, John 3.16, for instance, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There you go. All you have to do is believe. Well, let's investigate that with an open mind and an open heart and, and let's try to learn from them something we can if they've got something to offer. But see, when we do begin to investigate it, we learn that we have to have a little more than just belief. We do have to have repentance. We cannot live in the same way that we've always lived if it's not in accordance with God's Word. So we have to have repentance. Luke 13, verse 3. Jesus spoke those words also. 
And we know that we must confess Christ before people. We see the examples of that in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 3, on on throughout Acts. We see that we, we have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died, He came up out of the grave. He sits at the right hand of the Father today, Romans chapter 10. So we understand that. Yes, we have to have belief. And then we get to baptism and Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. I believe that. So we look at these things and then we look at this example of Saul and people will want to take part of what God said, yet they don't want to take all of it. That's what Saul did, wasn't it? Utterly destroy everything. Keep nothing alive. And yet he kept the king. He kept all of the good livestock. And he got rid of what he thought he didn't need. And because of that rebellion, Samuel brought to him a rebuke from God. God had exposed Saul to Samuel for what he was and for what he had done. And he declared to Samuel that it had repented him that he had chosen Saul out from that tribe of Benjamin to sit over the kingdom of Israel. He said, I wish I had not have done that. I want us to notice the reason for God's anger though. It was His displeasure towards Saul because he hath not performed the commandments. Now I want us to understand though that when God makes a statement that says it repenteth me, He's not repenting like we repent. He's not repenting like mankind repents because God does not commit sin. Numbers 23 verse 19. Moses recorded that God is not a man that He should lie. He doesn't have to lie. Neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken and shall He not make it good? God repented in the fact that He changed course. He changed course. Instead of Saul sitting up on the throne of Israel and his lineage following him, he changed course. And God has every right to do that. God has every right to change course because what He offers us and what He promises us is 100% conditional. Conditional. Based upon our behavior. Based upon our reaction to what He has told us. And Saul's reaction caused God to change course. And He chose a man who would sit on a throne. God doesn't commit sin. He repented, he changed his mind, and that action was carried out. Later on in the chapter, Samuel would say concerning God, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. 1 Samuel 15, 29. So we have to understand what this repentance is. He simply changed his mind. That's what repentance is, though, isn't it? A change of mind resulting in a change of action. We repent because of godly sorrow, hopefully, the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 4 verse 12, For the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the hearts and intents, or the, uh, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The written word exposes error. God will expose all of us if we sin. Judas was exposed, wasn't he, in his betrayal of the Lord? But he was exposed through the, the words of Christ. He wasn't compliant. 
Peter was exposed, wasn't he? Even before he ever denied the Lord the first time, he was exposed because of the words of Christ. False teaching in the world today is going to be exposed and it's going to cost a lot of people their souls, isn't it? And that's just so sad to me. I don't want that to happen. But that's going to happen. We look at uh, Jesus saying to enter into the straight gate, follow that narrow path, because broad is the gate, wide is the way that leadeth to destruction. There be many that go in thereat. And He says at the very end when we stand in judgment, there are going to be those who say, wait a minute, I did all the things you asked me to do, and He's going to have to say, no, you didn't. Matthew 2, 22-23, He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? They're going to say, in, in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works. And here's the sad part. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's going to be the case because they taught as doctrine the commandments of men. Matthew 15, verse 9. There are, going to people, there are going to be people that stand in front of the Lord and say, you know, I preached in your name every first day of the week that I was able. But I taught something other than what's found in the Bible. I taught a faith-only salvation. I taught that we could change the, the way in which you wanted us to worship. But I did teach in your name. See, we should understand from this passage of Scripture that when we obey only in part, that we disobey fully. We need to keep that in mind, don't we? After Saul was exposed, what did he do? First thing he started doing, he made excuses. He began to try to blame someone else. When he saw Samuel, he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 1 Samuel fifteen thirteen. It was at that point when Samuel made his well-known statement, What meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? What about the lowing of the oxen? What does that mean, First Samuel 15, 14? He says, what does that mean? I want us to notice the arrogance in Saul. I want us to notice that he declared that he had done all that the Lord commanded. Immediately. He came up to it's striking to me that as soon as he saw Samuel, he began to tell what he had already done. Boy, I've done it all, Samuel. It's almost as if right off of the bat he began to defend himself. And then, hey, this happens today. It's still going on. I want us to notice 2 Corinthians eleven, thirteen through fifteen. Paul declared concerning these people of whom he was talking, these false prophets and apostles, he says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And, and no marvel, don't be shocked and surprised, he says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That sounds like Saul. He came up and he said, Boy, I've done all you asked me to do. I am being faithful to God. You know, I think it is very interesting when we read this and we look at the words 
which Saul chose, when he's trying to take credit for something, do you notice he used those personal pronouns, I? I did this and I did that. And then when he tries to deflect the blame onto someone else, he begins to use those pronouns, they did this or they did that. They caused me to do things. First Samuel fifteen fifteen. he said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice. But the rest, we destroyed. Right? He wants in on the, we destroyed it. Never mind the fact that he was king. See, Satan wants us to blame others. He wants us to cast blame on others. And when that happens, true repentance is impossible and he's got us. We don't want that. Even though Samuel brings this to him, he's still trying to, trying to clear himself. He's trying to gain entrance into the favor of God. And he says, well, I did it in worship. I did it all in the name of worship. But that was a familiar excuse Paul, or excuse me, Saul had used before when he offered uh, unauthorized sacrifice. So we see as we're looking at this, this problem that Saul has, we see, the, we see the, the rebellion, we see the rebuke. Now we get to the, to the really sad part, right? We get to the end of Saul, Saul's rejection. He, re, he was rejected by God. God is going to be patient for a period of time. After listening to the excuses of Saul, Samuel had a reply to him. He answered what Saul said, and he said, 1 Samuel 15, 18-19, Notice, and the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, destroy the sinners, and fight against them until they be consumed. Do not stop until it's over. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? He said, But you flew upon the spoil, and you did evil inside the Lord. That sounds like Achan. Why could Saul not learn from his past? But he didn't. Even though the prophet of God rebuked Saul, he still continued on down through to try to clear himself. And to that, Samuel said, I think this is a wonderful question, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. He said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and hearken than the fat of rams. Sacrifice on the part of someone without faith is worthless in the sight of God. Christ said that we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. That means spirit, faith, proper attitude. Truth means the proper way, right? Right attitude, proper technique. But what Saul refused to admit and what he was lying to himself about was that sacrifice or the sacrifice that he made could only have been made after he disobeyed God. See, God doesn't take vain sacrifice. He tells us that in Mark 7, 7 through 9. He says, Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Then we notice God's reaction. Because Saul rejected God's commandments, he was rejected as king of Israel. He was dethroned. He was deposed. He was characterized as being rebellion and stubborn. Verse 23. 
Notice how Samuel described that rebellion and that stubbornness. He said, rebellion is like witchcraft. One who is stubborn lives in open rebellion, just as if they were practicing the dark arts of witchcraft, of which was against the law of God. He said stubbornness is like idolatry in a religious system where where something is placed in front of God and God in a sense is having to compete for the love of those people practicing that. Saul did that in both cases. And even when he finally did admit his guilt, he was still trying to blame other people. In the end, Samuel did what Saul should have done in the first place. He destroyed Agag, the king of the Amalekites. If we reject God, Jesus told us what would happen. He said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he wants us to do. Why is that? Because the wages of sin is death, but eternal life is a gift of God. I think we can learn something from here. But if we take anything out of this account, this historical narrative, I think it ought to be that to obey is better than sacrifice, right? May God never ask us in the same vein as Samuel asked Saul, are those sheep that I hear? What is coming to my ears? What am I hearing? You're telling me one thing, yet I'm seeing another. Paul warned us. The wages of sin is death. We earn that. we got to be faithful. And Samuel's question is answered. Are those sheep that I hear? We're able to identify the problems, aren't we? I think if we take those problems and we look at them and, and we apply this to our lives, we can avoid what happened to Saul. And that's what we want, isn't it? We, don't want to, we do not want to be found accountable. We want to learn. We want to prepare for eternity. We want to do what God has told us to do, not what some man has told us to do. See, what happened was the people of Israel followed after the man Saul instead of following after God the king. And we talked about how that happens in today's world. Look, there's one way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, cometh unto the Father except by me. So how do we do that? Well, he talked about that. Faith, repentance, Confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're not confessing sin. We're confessing that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. Because that's what we believe. That's why we repented. That's why we go down into the water. We are immersed. We're buried with Him in baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4. So we can contact His blood, Romans 6, 3 and 4. We come up out of that water to be a new person, to walk in a new life. And then we're faithful to Him who was faithful to us. That's how we do it. That's what Saul should have done. Of course, his mode would have been different. But grace and obedience through faith is what he should have done. Maybe we've done that and we've stepped away. See, Saul could have repented, but he chose not to. Coming forward and admitting to God the sins that are in our lives and repenting of that, whether publicly or privately, and asking God to forgive us. And we can do that same thing today. We can pray with you and for you if you've if you've gone astray and you're not being faithful. But either way, if you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this hour, please do that as we stand and as we sing.